Welcome to Marketing Hell. This is the podcast that picks through the rubble of our most abysmal marketing failures to see if we can find one or two lessons that mean you, the listener, will make all different blunders in your own campaigns. My name's Richard Leyland. In this episode, I'm interviewing Louis Grenier. Louis is the French guy behind the podcast Everyone Hates Marketers. He runs workshops and he consults for people that want their product or their service to radically stand out. And he's got a thing about marketing bullshit. And he swears. Let's hope we can avoid that bullshit over the next half an hour. Stick around for the education I get on insanely high SEO retainers and the moment where I casually dismiss a hero of his and try my best to dig myself out of the hole. All right, let's get to it. Louis, good morning. How are you? Bonjour, bonjour. I'm excellent. And I'm even more excellent because I'm uh, very pleased to be in the company of someone who's been podcasting way before it was cool. And it's good to see that you're back on the scene. And from the quick, the few minutes we we were together uh, before we, your recording, I can see that you know what you're doing. Uh, and so it's nice to talk to another professional. Well, you flatter me. I think we'll talk about whether I know what I'm doing and whether any of us know what we're doing uh, over the next little while. But can I start with the idea that marketers often market themselves, first of all, which can lead to a certain amount of evading when you make a mess up, right? So how easy do you find it to admit when things go horribly wrong when you make a mess of your marketing? I've made, I think I've developed the muscle of admitting that from kind of early on in my career and even before. I, I don't exactly know why it's happened, man, but I've always been very honest and straightforward with people and with myself to the point where I used to be quite tough on myself uh, as well as others. So I had never any problem admitting that uh, even at the start of my career. And I know it's not something, it's not a muscle that people practice a lot. And it's because it's just, you know, psychology 101. Um, every, not only marketers, but everyone market themselves in some way, shape or form. Everyone thinks of themselves first and no one wants to be seen as a failure. Everyone wants to protect, protect their identity and their status, right? So. It's very, it's counterintuitive in a sense, but I think it's something that must be practiced, you know? Yeah. And so if you're, if you're doing that, do you have a sense that you're an effective marketer? You know, how do you conceive of yourself? I, I think I'm, I think I've had successes and failures and I think I know why. I, I think effectiveness in marketing comes from, I strongly believe now, understanding of first principles. If you have a good grasp of the things that will always be those things that will never change, that you can focus on, mainly basic human psychology, basic business principles and economics, I believe that once you use them in some way, shape or form, you have a higher chance of success. Now, you know, everything is unpredictable until you ship it and nothing exists until your market sees it. But I guess effectiveness in I've met so many people smarter than me over the years. And I think that's what separates people who struggle with people who are not so struggling anymore. Got it. And you say you've met people smarter than you. What, in in marketing terms, more broadly than that? Everywhere, yeah. I think that the best marketers are the people who don't call themselves marketers and do it very intuitively. And one trait that I see a lot from people that are so-called successful or the from an outside perspective, they seem to be quite, you know, successful, have done good stuff, is the mindset, is the confidence that they are going to ship that thing and see what happens and then move on. 
and look at the data, look at the facts from a very cold perspective and dissociate themselves from their emotions and, and just move on. And it's a tough thing to do. It's something that must be practiced over and over again. But again, that's another thing, you know, beyond just the first principles, confidence mindset is, is also something I've seen across folks who don't feel like they're marketers, but do it so well because they don't ask themselves too many questions. Not asking yourself too many questions. What There's like an instinctive element to it. Absolutely. And, and I struggle with it when folks teaching marketing say that it's instinctive and intuitive and you can't really be taught that. Like Seth Godin, who's a guy I widely admire. I mean, this guy is just on another level. Yeah, tell me about Seth Godin, because I'll, I'll admit I avoid Seth Godin like the plague. Okay, so let me, let me, um, let me try to, to tell you my perspective on him. Um, he, I challenged him on that when I had the luxury to like, talk to him twice in the podcast on, on, on everyone has marketers. And he, he has a very intuitive way of doing marketing and he's struggling to get to the, to the steps, to the actions, to the things that people can actually do tomorrow or today. He's being not evasive, but he's being on purpose. He's, he's, he doesn't want to give you the map. And I think it's, I think it's a mistake. I think people then struggle to put stuff into, into, into action because of that, because they're overwhelmed. And even though some people can pick up these ideas and actually have the confidence to pull through, a lot don't. And, you know, it's like Bob Ross, I think, in painting, who will actually teach you how to, how to paint an actual full scenery. And he's not trying to make you figure stuff out. He's teaching you, he's holding your hand, making you do it. And then later on, you can do it yourself. And I think that's the mistake. And again, how, who am I to judge him? He's achieved so much for the marketing industry, let's be honest. But I, I think he's missing out on that part sometimes and uh, he could do better to, to entice more people to do marketing the right way. One of my objections is just the in-principle objection to gurus of all types. And actually, in-principle objection is the wrong way of putting it because there is nothing in-principally wrong with being a guru. But on a personal level, I don't know why, but I just find myself really uncomfortable listening to engaging with people that define themselves in, that, in those terms. The, is, he, is he defining himself as a guru? I guess, well, you probably know him better than I do. I don't know. I haven't read any of his stuff or been engaged with him for years. So perhaps not. Maybe, I've, maybe I need to revisit. Well, anyway, if you think about marketing hell, what's the first campaign of yours that comes to mind? It's not even a campaign. It's an entire business. Um, uh, after I had my first full-time marketing job at a startup for around three years, I had saved up around 20 grand in my account. And my ambition was to become a business owner, a startup owner. I wanted to launch my own startup. And uh, that failed miserably because after a year and a half, I burnt out and uh, I, had to, I had to find a job uh, because I just couldn't function. Um, and I guess it's a grand campaign in a sense because I didn't have much credibility uh, in the space. Uh, this startup idea very quickly turned into a marketing agency because I had to, to generate revenue and I didn't have the passion to, to start a, an entire software company. And my lack of credibility, my lack of knowledge, my lack of network, my lack of skills, frankly, led me to do what I expected, what I thought people, others were expected of me as a marketing consultant. So. I, were, I, I bought those three-piece suits. I went to the Dublin Chamber of Commerce. I acted completely 
differently than who I am as a person. I'm quite contrarian by in nature. I like to challenge the status quo. I like to find flaws in people's thinking. And I did the opposite of that. So at the height of it, we were four people working remotely. And so it wasn't a, like a complete failure. There was a lot of stuff that I enjoyed. But overall, it's, it's, it's really nice to look back and think, shit, I made so many mistakes there. I promised myself not to do it ever again. And I guess we can talk about all of those if you want. Maybe that's just a factor of being young, right? I presume that you were relatively inexperienced in your career. And at that point, it feels much more important to fit in, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's exactly. I think that's the the youth factor was definitely there. But I, 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 I'm, I consider myself to be quite intuitive in a sense where I... I had the feeling then that I wasn't being myself uh, 100%. I was trying to fight some stuff. We did we did have some controversial copy on the website. We were saying that we were fighting, fighting marketing bullshit in some way, shape, or form. But yet we were working with clients we were not super proud of. And we were doing work that was very, you know, brainless in a sense, like very like basic stuff, like designing websites and whatever. So... I had a feeling then, but yeah, I didn't necessarily have the tools to do it. So I don't blame myself that much. I think it's just fun to look back because that, that experience led me to to do things very differently next time I decided to, to, to grow a business, you know? Yeah, got it. So spending two minutes, really, that's all you need looking at you around the web. And you can see that this need to avoid bullshit is really important to you. Tell me about what you mean by marketing bullshit and why you hate it. So marketing bullshit is everything that is kind of wrong with the industry that I've put into a box. And and people, it's funny, people don't necessarily need to know exactly what it means to understand what it means for them. And that's the beauty of picking a status quo like that. So the marketing bullshit is what causes marketers, entrepreneurs, founders, uh, creators, the pain, uh, pain of not being, not knowing what to do next, the pain of uh, struggling to sell stuff the pain of not knowing how to differentiate their product. And it's all the bullshit that you hear about, uh, you know, the, the, the flavor of the month tactics that will disappear. It's about the focus on tools instead of focusing on the people behind it. It's about focusing on best practices or so-called best practices instead of uh, first principles. It's about uh, lying to people and, and, and tricking them uh, to arrive at your, at your destination. It's all of that. It's what causes people pain, which is the entire bullshit around it. Lying to people to so that they do what you want them to do is essentially what you just said there. Give me some examples of when that happens. I'm trying to picture it. It's not black or white. So it could be very subtle all the way to being absolute bullshit. So I think copies on websites can be over the top. And, you know, people using superlatives and trying to hide uh, bad customer reviews, for example, to be seen as better than they actually are using stock photos and basically trying to portray themselves better, bigger, more beautiful, uh, with more case studies, more success than, than they actually have. And so those, this lying is rampant in the industry. I mean, if you look at any marketing agency website, you'll see what I mean. I mean, most marketing agency websites, for example, because that's the norm now. We, we, everyone is surrounded by people who are like braggers, you know, who lie, who that's that's that that's kind of the norm. So we almost take it for granted. But um, this those award winning, ten years plus experience, uh, or those you know fifty years combined experience, and all the superlatives, and it's 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 subtle in some places, but it's rampant and it's quite everywhere. And then you have all the bullshit, like the full on bullshit of people um, 
lying to you about our pro product does that actually doesn't do that or literally in the beauty industry uh beauty products uh, telling women or uh, men i mean whatever uh that they will actually you know rejuvenate your skin back to its former beauty and former youth which is completely wrong um and customers are you know almost taught to know that yeah it's bullshit but of the off chance that it might work let's let's buy this thing so it's this is this is what i mean that's really interesting so um i sometimes wonder though if we've kind of priced it in as consumers we've priced in a certain amount of bullshit you know we don't really expect that a I don't know, a face cream is going to return our skin to how it looked a decade or more ago. We don't really think it's true. So maybe that's even worse. We have bullshit from the marketing industry and an acceptance within the consumer space. Yeah, we, it's, we, we are grown to learn that this is, this is what happens. This is what you need to do. And so the barrier of entry for a marketer, a creator, a team of marketers of, of people who want to do something different and be seen is actually not that high because there's so much bullshit and braggers are everywhere and people are really, 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 really struggle to be seen as imperfect instead of these, those perfect beings that it's actually, it's a huge opportunity for people out there. If you're listening to this episode, it's an absolutely huge opportunity because if you look at what direct competitors and alternatives are doing, you can see that it's so there's so much to play with and so much to do uh, to go against the grain. Mm. What is the thing in your career that you are least proud of? What what in your marketing career are you least proud of? I think that was the first job I had where I remember we we bought this Twitter bot software to auto follow and auto tweet and auto do whatever in order to grow our twitter following and i was just fresh out of university and that was literally my first job in marketing and i didn't know any better and um, we also tried to do some quote-unquote black hat seo in order to gain rankings like by stuffing keywords into a page i i want to hear about that well uh, at the time, uh, a few years back, I think it's nearly 10 years ago now, uh, you could still rank a page by adding as many keywords as possible. You could, at the bottom of a page, you could literally write keywords that you wanted to rank for and then put them on in white, uh, white on white, so people wouldn't see them, but the bots, the Google bots will see them. And we would uh, we try to, 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 to get rankings this way. The, another way was... Yeah, the other way would be to to go on directories and submit your websites or or, or create fake website and get links uh, links there. Like we didn't do that for long because I challenged it after after a bit. You know, I had the confidence to do it pretty pretty straight away. Uh, but I think this is the thing that happens when you are educated by folks who don't focus on the humans and the people and focus on the algorithm, focus on so-called best practices that are going to go out of fashion next month. They tend then to to do this kind of stuff because they don't know any better. So I don't blame them. I blame the, the bullshit around it that makes them do it. Yeah, it's interesting. In relation to SEO, for, from my angle, it looks like it's an area of marketing that's got its house in order. And the reason I say that is because in general terms, you don't try and game um, SEO these days. You try and do it properly. And I've been in the market for an SEO agency in recent times. And so I've spoken to multiple and got them to pitch. and. They almost all have a speech along the lines of, 
we're not going to try and play games that work now and won't work in a month's time. We're going to do this properly in the spirit in which, you know, in the spirit in which it should be approached. And, you know, we'll treat Google's algo with respect. And there's a, there's a sense that people want to communicate that they're doing it well these days. Does that ring true with you? Yeah, absolutely. But because they have no choice. It's, it's not because of the goodness of their heart. It's because it doesn't work anymore. Right. What? So there are no tricks that you could be playing today? No. I mean, the Google company is a mastodont with thousands upon thousands of people who work on the quote-unquote algorithm, which is in fact not just one, but like thousands of, of multiple things that, that decide on rankings. And it's almost impossible to trick it. Like they've gotten so much so much smarter. And if you think as an individual or even an SEO agency that you can trick Google, you are going to be sorely mistaken. It's impossible. Uh, you need to play the long game. You need to quote unquote produce good content that people care and make it a great experience. That's the only thing you can do nowadays. Mm. I discovered the other day that in the UK, there is a, um, a direct to consumer um, glasses company that is spending more than 20,000 per month on an external SEO agency. And I had no sense that anyone operated at that kind of scale. Mm -hmm. £20,000 retainer on just SEO. That surprised me. I didn't that's, think that they even existed. That's quite that. small. That's quite small. Really? Okay. So tell me how, how big does this get? Because this is an area I haven't seen much of. It can, it can get really, really high when you combine SEO with content, which is the thing that you need to use in order to rank. You have basically two, two stuff. You have the technical SEO side, which is more like on the site. When you have sites that have thousands of pages where your rankings will literally bring you millions of euros or pounds or dollars every month or every day, every page and the way you uh, build them is, is absolutely important. So, and then you have the side where uh, the content side, where you have to produce content and, uh, and all of that. And that on its own can take... You know, I used to work for Hotjar, which is a SaaS company, and our budget was close to what you described, uh, literally because determining what to rank for, what type of content to write, how to write it, writing it, uh, gathering links in the right way by reaching out to folks who know you and making sure they promote your stuff on their side because they love it. I mean, all of that is just this organic thing is 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 huge. So. SEO is, is no longer just this technical thing. It con encompasses content, PR, all of that together. So training ground retainer doesn't surprise me now. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm in, at the moment recruiting for a content editor to join my marketing team. And that, that's my acknowledgement that the content creation engine is really important. So I feel better. I feel better about that role that we're recruiting. Um, I think you made a really interesting admission earlier that you'd bought followers. I think you meant on Twitter. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So what was going through your mind when you did that? I'm interested in the, the, the mindset. Well, again, I, I was only starting in my career and, and wanted to make a splash pretty quickly. And uh, we, we had a few people working there and, um, and the idea was, you know, why don't we try to game the system? I think it's inherently human to try to get to what you want to get to as fast as possible. Uh, using shortcuts if possible. And so that was the idea. I mean, I didn't know any better. So the thinking was, ha, oh, actually, if we just pay $100 for this software, we can get, uh, we can get some, to where we want to go pretty quickly. And where we wanted to go was just getting more followers on Twitter because we thought that would bring more sales. It's just very, very uh, basic 
thinking of someone who wanted to make uh, a dent quickly, you know. And in the end, was it spotted and did you, were those followers scrubbed automatically in the end? I think we just stopped doing it because we realized how stupid we were, you know. Tell me what else comes to mind when you think marketing hell. What are the things that you see looking around the industry that are that are dreadful? Well, man, I can go on for hours on this. I'm so I'm so contrarian in nature that when I see things too many times, I intend to get sick of it pretty quickly. Overall, the one thing that pisses me off at the minute is this this you know uh, shiny object syndrome where this there's this new social media called uh, Clubhouse that is that is arriving at the minute. There's like more than ten million users at the at the time we're speaking now. Basically, an audio based social media stuff where you create rooms and you can talk uh, audio um, in an, uh, just like a podcast experience between more guests and people can come in and whatever. And now people are just messaging me saying, have you checked it out? And and you should do stuff on there and, and whatever. And this this is what's wrong in general with, with the marketing community and industry where we just get obsessed with the shiny new thing instead of doing the right thing first. And I've honestly yet to find and I've yet to work with a company that have absolutely nailed the fundamental steps of marketing, meaning a good strategy, meaning what to do and especially what not to do and why, meaning understanding their market so well that they know them better than the customer know themselves, meaning that they know exactly what channels and what stuff to say on those channels in order to generate sales. I've yet to find a company that does it super well because it's very difficult. But I guess I guess those are not as sexy as a new tool that is arriving that could revolutionize your marketing. Uh, the good old strategy, you know, positioning, research, all of that is, is being forgotten. Um, in general, so the, it's, I'm, I'm making generalizations. No, no, I've, I, I think you're right. And I've had similarly, I guess, cynical thoughts about Clubhouse. And I wonder if it's, if it's, if it's this, which is that it's a, it's a media type, right? It's social media. It's a form of media. And who's interested in media? Well, people that work in the media, right? So no wonder there's hype around it. The media is interested in a new media. That's a sort of natural circular argument for why people would like it. But I take it you don't think this is the future of social networking or the future of marketing. Uh, look, I don't know. The future of marketing is is the past of marketing, is the present of marketing. It's never going to change. The future of marketing is 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 always going to be to understand your customers, to position your business so that it's being seen as being different from the rest. Is to take some risk and try new shit and see what works. That's the future of marketing. Whether or not this social media is going to take over, I don't fucking know. I'm not a I'm not someone who, who can predict the future in that sense. Um, maybe it will. And if it does, I'll be on there more because people will, will be there. Uh, so I'm not cheating on it. Uh, I'm not saying it's a bad idea whatsoever. I'm challenging the thinking because three years ago, Meerkat was this new thing around the block and that's going to revolutionize stuff. Or Snapchat was something that will absolutely take over Facebook or Twitter. So it's I'm challenging the mindset, not, not the tool itself. And and frankly, it's a good idea, and I'm going to try a few stuff out there, but I know my strategy, and I know what I'm doing. I'm not doing it uh, because I think it's going to change my my marketing forever. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. The one, one of the best bits of the hype around that particular tool, Clubhouse, is the idea that it's just simply going to kill podcasting, you know, a, a medium that is 
I don't know, 15, 16 years old. No, it's probably 20 years old now, isn't it? Um, and has been undergoing massive growth year on year for several at years. Least, yeah. And now a single tool that at the moment is only available on iOS. I'm sure by the time people hear this, that will change. But suddenly that's going to uh, kill podcasting. Seems a little unlikely. Right. It's it's the same thing for everything. Like it's humans are prone to negative emotions and 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 to to those to those thoughts where people love to hear our brains love to hear about those things and those problems that will be solved and those things that will disappear and we're just drowned to it we're just drowned to to death and demise and all of that so that's a natural reaction uh email is dead and podcasting is dead and whatever else is dead so i beg you if you're listening to this beg you to to reconsider and think of first principles things that will never change about marketing because then that's going to ground you into foundations that will allow you then to be very flexible yet to have foundations to, to lean on when you feel a bit lost. And that saved my career a few times. You've mentioned that you're a contrarian and I can I can see that. How do your clients handle it? Do you ever sort of attempt to kill their sacred cows and piss them off? <laughs> Look, my I have the luxury to spend time working with folks who believe what I believe. And I guess this is one of the first principles of marketing. Don't try to change people's minds just try to get people who already agree in what you agree, who already have those beliefs that, that they need to have to work with you or to buy your product. So the luxury that I have nowadays is that I can say no to folks who don't believe in what I believe. And most people who follow me, the people who, who like what I do, the people I work with believe in what I believe. And what happens is then they know what they are getting into. They know that I'm going to curse. They know I'm going to challenge them. They know I never going to lie to them. I'm going to be honest with them 100% of the time. And that's what they buy. You know, that's what they get. So yeah, sure, there might be heated argument, but I'll, I'll never be, I'll never try to act um, differently than, than what I believe uh, inside. And I've stopped wearing my three-piece suit and I'm just wearing a hoodie because it's comfortable and I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to jump to a new subject and ask, what is the biggest waste of money that you've been responsible for in your career? So uh, while at Hodja in the first year, I was tasked to build uh, the content marketing operation there. So we were tasked to build a team and to gather, uh, to get signups uh, for the software by, by writing good content, producing good content. But at the time, I didn't really do the, the proper job of understanding what was exactly expected of us as a content team. And we didn't never really talk openly about the fact that our content pieces were expected to drive actual signups. It was a bit more broad than that, a bit more vague. And there wasn't really this discussion about saying, no, we want you to generate signups. We don't want you to just get views. So I actually decided to launch a podcast for Hodjar uh, almost as soon as I started with them, like within a few months. Uh, it was called The Human Strike Back. And that was really a take on um, doing business by focusing on people first uh, and all of that. Uh, I interviewed a few experts. I had uh, someone in my team as well interviewing a few. We did a massive launch. We spent probably 20, 30, 40 grand on ads. And it got a lot of traction. We reached 100,000 downloads pretty fast. A lot of people were talking about it. But there was no link to the signups on the other side. And again, that wasn't really what we wanted to do. That wasn't really what I had in mind. For me, it was more brand play. But I made the mistake of expecting that it was a brand play while 
people in leadership are expecting signups and we never really were in a position to prove it. So then that led to very heated discussions and pressure on me to say, uh, listen, you're going to have to change your ways or something else is going to happen. So we had to change completely the way we were doing content and the objectives we had uh, because of that. So I guess I guess we spend a lot of time on time on money on it. Probably the biggest waste. So you were you were not able to point to additional signups as a result of this. Um, what do you feel? Do you think in the long run the activity would have paid off in relation to you know raising the profile of the brand? You know signups that you might get over three four years would it would it pay in the long run? I guess it's it's the long and the short of it, right? Um, that's the again, a scientific-based marketing studies that had been done by uh, Les Bennett. Uh, and then you have Baron Sharp, uh, who, who've done similar stuff. On average, on average, you must spend 60% of your marketing budget on brand building, uh, which is long-term, and 40% on sales activation, which is short-term. And I consider that at the time to be in the 60%, right? So yes, absolutely, if we had kept going, in the long run, that would have helped to raise the profile of the company. More people would have heard of it. More people would have remembered it. And then when people were thinking of potentially using a software like ours, they would think of us first and then go on and Google us or, or find us directly. So I believe in my heart that, yes, uh, it would have worked. But again, things work depending on the objectives you put next to them, right? So it didn't work because it wasn't the objective. Um, but yes, I believe that in the long run, we would have absolutely crushed it with this podcast. And that's where we left it. Did you notice the little frisson where I admitted I don't really like Seth Godin? Yeah, if you could have seen Louis's face, it was like I'd spilled his beer and trod on his toe. I did do a little Googling and Louis is absolutely right. Seth Godin does not call himself a guru. And I should also say, Louis has interviewed Seth Godin and read his work, whereas I have not interviewed Seth Godin, nor read a single one of his books, so maybe I should have just a touch of humility there. So I'd like to thank Louis for coming on the podcast, really enjoyed that. And if you're interested in checking him out, you can find him on Twitter at Louis Slices, or go to everyonehatesmarketers.com. That's a very good question, man. I can see your professional podcast here. <laughs> I've made you king. I've given you all the power in the world.